0: Hey, guys, I am excited to have these uh, next guests on for a couple of different reasons. So first of all, I have Ernie and Denise Pack on there uh, with Pac-Man Paranormal, but they were also one of the driving forces in the uh, Saving Waverly Hills. We had uh, Ernie on back when all the lawsuit stuff started going on to tell uh, Tina and Charlie Madley's side of the story and uh, to explain what they were doing. And a lot of that stuff now has been resolved. Uh, Tina and Charlie are kind of back in. We've touched on that a little bit uh, over the last uh, week, week and a half. Uh, We were privileged to be able to go out there and be a part of the celebration when they kind of made the big announcement. But while we were at Waverly, I got to find out one of the most touching Paranormal love stories ever, and uh, I, I was able to persuade Ernie and Denise to come on and talk about that. So, first of all, Ernie, Denise, thank you guys for coming on.
1: You're welcome. Um,
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Can't. Uh, it was the barbecue sauce that that swayed me, man.
0: <laughs> well, whatever whatever bribery it takes on my end, I'm I'm not above it. So. <laughs> I won't even tell you what I had to do to get Tommy Chong on for the interview that I'm doing next <laughs> week. I, I can guess. <laughs> all right. So, Ernie, let's start with you. You came on the show. You were talking about, uh, at the time, uh, it's probably been close to a year ago, I would say, uh, uh, about the, all the lawsuits and stuff that was going on. Now we've got positive news. Tell me where we stand as of today.
1: Well, um, I don't want to go backwards at Sorry, all. Sorry,
2: Ernie doesn't silence his phone because he doesn't know how to do these interviews. He's never done one.
1: <laughs> I don't want to go backwards <laughs> at all uh, because there's negativity <laughs> involved with all that. Um, but where we stand right now is that an agreement was reached back uh, just right around Halloween, I guess, between the WHHS and T.N. and Charlie Mattingly. Um, the people who were the driving force behind creating the lawsuit and everything going on up there uh are no longer a part of the whhs things have been uh resolved and we are moving forward tina and charlie are back at waverly anytime they choose to be um charlie if you know charlie mattingly he's not happy unless he's out there getting his hands dirty doing something he's up there every day now uh Uh, working in his garage, working on the building, doing whatever he needs to do to to feel satisfied and and useful. Uh, Tina is still battling some health issues, so she hasn't been spending as much time up there as she needs to. Actually, she's in the hospital right now. Um, But things are behind us as far as the battle, the war, everything that was going on. That's all behind us. Uh, We are all we've come together. The the current makeup of the WHHS and the current staff up there and the Save Waverly Hills movement and the Mattingly family, we've all come together and we're moving forward. And I just can't, I can't express enough how positive the future looks at Waverly right now. I think Waverly has won. The building itself and the spirits up there have won through all of this because there's going to be some positive changes made. There were some things that needed to be done. And then there were some other decisions that were made about some new things to do that uh, that are going to be good for all parties involved.
0: Now, obviously, the the people who were more on the side of Charlie and Tina uh, rather than the way things were being done with the Waverly Hills Historical Society, you know, all of us, including the the Saving Waverly Hills movement, we were kind of urging people to kind of hold off on any trips, tours, investigations of Waverly until all this was resolved. And then uh, hopefully uh, Tina and Charlie would come out on the right side of things, which is what where we're at now. So am I right in assuming that Waverly Hills, even though it was technically always open for business, now we are urging people to, to come to Waverly?
1: Absolutely. Um, actually, I have just started a job there as of yesterday as public relations director. So it's kind of my job to tell people, go buy <laughs> your tickets. Um, but I firmly am behind that. It's not, I'm not just doing it because they're paying me to do it. Um, there was a lot of money that uh, has has just kind of been dust in the wind over the last couple of years for various reasons. And the building has suffered as a result. The bank accounts are emptied um, through various means. Uh you know, this this whole situation has been a big part of that. And uh, we need your support. Charlie's got a lot of work to do up there. Uh, the building was kind of neglected over the past couple of years. And <clears throat> there's a leak, a bad leak in the center part of the roof that needs to be taken care of. Uh, if you walked around the building a couple of weeks ago when you were up there with us, Jerry, you saw the, the plastic covering over the windows We want to get that off of there, but we can't take that off until we can afford to buy replacement windows. Uh, We're going to, you know, just pull some plastic off, put a window in, move to the next room, pull the plastic off, put the window in.
2: And it's important to get the money for that as as quickly as possible, because anybody doing a paranormal investigation with plastic on a windy window is going to know that that's going to be a problem.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a a lot of things that we need to get done quickly. And it's going to take a lot of money to do that. And, um, you know, Waverly has always sold itself. Uh, It's been a place that uh, has been on every paranormal TV show. Heck, it's been featured on Supernatural and in motion pictures. Uh, It's a famous place and people want to come to Waverly no matter what. Uh, But over the past couple of years, a lot of folks who knew what was going on with the legal situation stayed away. And in my opinion, for good reason, if you stand for what's right, I don't, I I think that that's the thing to do, but, uh, now we want those folks back. We need them back. we got a lot of the people that they, that they have been missing and wanting back on the Hill. A lot of them are back on the Hill, including Tina and Charlie. So come on back up, see that beautiful building interact with the wonderful permanent residents up there and, and say hi
0: to Tina and Charlie. So with that being said, you know, we do a live event in Louisville every year. We always schedule that event during the more daytime hours. Like Mm -hmm. this year it's one to five. Uh, We'll be there with bro Ohio. And the reason we typically do that is because we used to like, to get all of our listeners who come to the live event to go out and buy tickets to Waverly for the tour that night. And that gave plenty of people time to get through with what we're doing and get to the seven o'clock and the nine 30 tours that they were doing them. They would vary those times on occasion, but uh, we would usually have about a hundred people between the two tours, just buy those tickets up as soon as January hit and it was available. So right. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm sorry. We are urging all of you guys, if you're going to come to our Louisville show on the 15th, to go ahead and go to uh Waverly Hills website and get your tickets for the tour on the night of April 15th. Because if you wait, they will sell out uh, because if they they're not already do. sold out. I, I'm, I'm not sure. yeah, I know that
1: once we opened the floodgates a couple of weeks ago, the website got inundated with uh with ticket orders. And um, but the website is the realwaverlyhills.com. That's T H E R E A L W A V E R L Y H I L L S dot com, and you can find out there how to order your tickets, see what dates are available. If you can't make it on the fifteenth, um, come
0: back. I'm in there Friday.
1: Yeah, come 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 back. Look for a date that you can make it because it's uh the changes that have happened over the past couple of years. Uh, some were for the worse, but. Right now where the building stands, I am I love it. Uh, it's you're gonna you're gonna like what you see when you get back in there, I think, with the exception of those plastic windows, but <laughs> we're working on that.
0: Yeah, like and, and I always tell people, you know, obviously Hillbilly horror stories and our event that we're doing that day has no affiliation with Waverly Hills uh, sanatorium whatsoever. But we've always found that to be a great pairing if you're gonna be in Louisville why not go see the most famous haunted location in the world at the same, on the same day. So we've always scheduled our shows so you could do both. So there you go. Yeah.
1: yeah makes perfect sense.
0: I'll, I'll touch Denise. I'll, I'll ask you this one. Cause I know you, you know the answer to this cause I know, and I know you get frustrated. Both of you do about this. <laughs> There's a lot of rumors, stories, legends of Waverly Hills, One of which is how many people died over the years. And you've heard that number of 60,000 plus. What's the real story behind how many people have died at Waverly or as close as we could come to?
2: So far, we we used to have a lady that did a lot of the research for us. She Nancy has, Shoemaker. <laughs> Nancy Shoemaker. She has since passed, uh, I, you know, over the last couple of years, there obviously wasn't a whole lot of anybody doing any actual digging to find up, you know, anything else to help promote the building in a positive light. Um, but there, she had dug up about somewhere between eleven and 12,000 that were actually proven to have died there. Now, with as difficult as it is to find records and so forth, we're thinking that it could have been twice that number possibly. Um, But we've only confirmed between 11 and 12, and that's for various reasons. There were two floods that wiped out records. Um, Not all the deaths at Waverly were marked as Waverly Hills deaths. Uh, Some were marked Waverly Hills, but they weren't necessarily at the sanatorium. So it's, it's a process trying to dig through them, but we are absolutely positive beyond a shadow of a doubt it was not in the 60,000 digits at all.
0: No. Now, do those deaths include the time that it was a nursing home and everything after the time that it was a TB hospital, or is it strictly during the TB hospital days? Okay.
1: That, that includes the Woodhaven years as well. Yes. Okay.
2: And, and that's deaths are not all related to TB. There were lots of people that died for different reasons up there. I mean, obviously, the majority of, majority of them were t- tuberculosis related, but you did have a lot of suicides. You had people that just died natural death. I mean, there there were a lot of the geriatric, geriatric center. There were a lot of deaths that happened there outside of tuberculosis as well.
1: There's at least one documented murder up there where a uh, uh, there was a fight between a couple kitchen staff employees and one of them stabbed the other. So yeah. there there were there were a lot of deaths up there in various ways over the years.
0: Yeah and and I, and I understand 60,000 is inflated. Uh mm-hmm. so people would go oh there's 60 but I mean even even 12,000 is a lot of people right. who died in one look. I mean it's hard right. to find any location you know unless you're talking about a battlefield. Absolutely. Right. There's not that yeah. many deaths, you know. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, you talk about, I mean, Waverly was a self-contained community. It was, uh, you know, it's 800 acres of property altogether back in the heyday. Uh, so, you know, it's a pretty large area. But still, when you think about 12 to maybe 20,000 deaths occurring on 800 acres, I mean, that's pretty pretty close to the same ratio as what you get like in Gettysburg or somewhere like that. And people talk about how haunted Gettysburg or some of these other battles.
2: We live three minutes from the gate. We can stand out on our front porch and see the top of Waverly. And our property was part of that property at the time. So you're talking about a very large area with whole families living there that was also classified as Waverly Hills deaths.
0: Well, you live where you can see the the, uh, location now, but eventually you guys are going to be moving from... One haunted area straight into a haunted location yourself. So I'm excited about that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. We are yeah. too. <laughs> we are very excited
1: about it. Um, it's uh, not too far from here. About 15 minutes. When you Google the name of the, the property that we're buying, it comes up. One of the things that comes up on Google is explore Kentucky's most haunted house. So nice. we saw that. We were like,
0: we're, we're buying it. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get into that later once you guys are in and settle and decide uh how you're going to proceed with that. Maybe we can have a, a a different have you guys on a different time to discuss that kind of thing.
1: Maybe we can have, a, right. have a cookout by the fire out there by the
0: river and then go in and explore later or something. <laughs> That, that little area is a is kind of a hidden gem it doesn't it really get is. the uh it doesn't get the publicity and a lot of people if you're not from that area probably don't don't even know that it exists but it's a nice little it's a nice little area There's
1: a lot of history there Absolutely. i mean a lot of history
2: there we we've been looking at it for at least the last three years since i've moved up here and he introduced me to it i mean it's it's getting a little bit of a makeover now but even before anybody was touching it and it was all run down I was like we've got to live here we've got to live here we would drive through there once a week looking for anything with a for sale sign on it and I was like this is going to happen maybe I'm in well, I, tell, that. <laughs> and
0: I tell you what too you got to be careful going through there in your car because they will give you a speeding ticket oh and yeah, it's you know, a heartbeat. speed trap you, know, <laughs> you come up over that hill and there's almost always a cop sitting there I, I used to live in uh, Vine Grove out in the uh, Brandenburg area, so yeah, I would come down Muldrow Hill. I don't know how many times, and you just—it's just a—it's just, uh, just a gravity thing. You're coming down that hill, you start picking up speed, and they just sit there and wait on it. So bottom of the hill, waiting on you. Yeah, I refuse to be part of their revenue source. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's let's get into the obviously I wanted to touch on the Waverly stuff and update, but the real reason I wanted you guys on because I wanted you to tell your story. Now, when I heard the majority of the story, it came from Denise and I had heard the uh, cliff notes story before. And actually the last time you were on, you mentioned the story that you two met on a tour at Waverly back Ernie, back when you were, were given the tours and stuff there. And Denise was on a tour And that was a great story, but the version that I got to hear up at Waverly was a lot more detailed, it was a lot more emotional, and quite frankly, I think from a listener standpoint, it was very moving, very inspirational, and I know our listeners would love to hear that version of the story, but I won't force you to tell that version, because it's very personal. Uh, and you, you were very open at night. Denise was very open that night. It was a side that I hadn't seen of you, Ernie. <laughs> and, that, and there's nothing wrong with that, trust me. Uh, I, I'm a guy that has a very sensitive side. I'm an open book, because I feel like, literally I am an open book, since I wrote a book that said all these things. <laughs> but, but, but I think, I, I, in my in my way of thinking, I needed to do that because I thought it was important for people to see the version that you know of me now isn't wasn't always the version mm-hmm. that I was. I'm always a work in progress. I think like most of us are absolutely and and I wanted to be an inspiration to people that might be struggling. And a big part of your story was about a time of your life that was very tough. And very hard to talk about, but I think, I think if you're willing to talk about that tonight and tell the story the way you told it the other night, I think you would be able to help a lot of people more than you would ever realize.
1: All right. Well, let me try to make sure I get everything in there that, that is pertinent because there's so many elements to this story. (laughs) Uh,
2: I think before we get into how we met exactly, it's best to just kind of talk about what led up to the night we met, I guess.
1: I had worked for the railroad and made really good money almost six figures you know I mean not great money but 90,000 right now ballpark I had recently lost a job with the railroad I had broken up from a year long plus relationship um I my young son was living with me. I had custody of him. Um, the I was working two jobs, working at a warehouse, driving a forklift, and working as a tour guide at Waverly Hills to try to keep my head above water.
2: Sleeping four hours a day.
1: Yeah.
2: He went to the warehouse from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., and he went to Waverly from 7 p.m. to 4 a.m.
1: And... Would try to grab a couple hours sleep in between each job, but uh, anyway, I was I was doing all I could to try to keep my head above water. Everybody knew Ernie as this fun-loving, happy-go-lucky guy that uh, you know always had a smile on his face and those things. So I had to remain that person. I didn't want to be a different person. I didn't tell anybody about my my struggles, the things that I was really going through, I kept it inside. And like I say, that night shift job that I had was a, I was a host for the private overnights at Waverly Hills on June 19th or June 20th of 2019. I always, I always do do too. June 20th of 2019, I, Had a group come in. I went down to the gate and met a lady down at the gate. There were, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them that had rented the building for the night. Got them in there and was giving them their tour of the building before their investigation started. And when I got up to the fifth floor, the that's an area that's always been very special to me, the area around room 502. If you know anything about room 502, it's one of the more famous stories of Waverly Hills. It's, you know, probably the most famous bathroom in Louisville, Kentucky is room 502 at Waverly Hills. Um, but uh, anyway, that story always meant a lot to me. It's something that uh, that I've investigated myself in my own time and then. Every time I had a chance as an employee at Waverly, I would go up there and try to get some some contact and some communication up there, because the story that's always been told is that a nurse was having an affair with a married doctor. She had gotten pregnant. Some versions of that story say that she had even contracted tuberculosis. And the doctor, he finds out about her pregnancy and he wants to break off the relationship because You know, he and his wife both lived there, uh, and he, he knew that she would find out. So he decided to break off the relationship with the nurse. Well, the nurse gets distraught. She gets this diagnosis. She either gave herself an abortion or had an abortion performed on her. The fetus was flushed down the toilet in room 502. And then she climbed onto a chair, tied a bed sheet around her neck, around a light fixture, and jumped off the chair and hung herself. And that's the story that's been passed down for years. It was told to Tina and Charlie many years ago by a guy who said that he had a relative who actually helped cut the body down. Um, but that story had never made sense to me because I knew about the fifth floor at Waverly Hills. Um, the fifth floor had two, main, two wards. One ward was for children 12 and under who had stage five tuberculosis. The other ward was for young adults and children who had tubercular meningitis, which is basically TB of the brain. These are people that were often treated with electroshock therapy. And these two classes of patients were kept on the roof for two main reasons. They were the most precious, most vulnerable class of patients up there. Well, the main treatment for tuberculosis, or two of the main treatments for tuberculosis, and that in those days was fresh air and sunshine. The fifth floor at Waverly had the most access to fresh air and sunshine uh, because it's glass all the way around and not brick on one side and open on the other like the rest of the building is. Um, so. That's one reason why it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, who would hang themselves in front of these people? Okay. If if you worked at Waverly Hills, you were confined there. You, you could not leave the property for any reason. Um, they didn't want you to bring that contamination out into the community, basically. So it was a self-contained community and everybody lived there that worked there. Um, nurses back in the 30s, when we think this happened, were lucky to make $25 a week. It wasn't a big prestigious job, a big high-paying job, anything like that. It wasn't until after really World War II that nurses started to get credit for the work that they did. They were treated basically as second-class citizens. They were women in the workforce in the 30s. You know how that went? Um, so for a young woman to make the sacrifice – oh, one other point. There's an entire wing at Waverly Hills that we call the nurse's wing because a lot of nurses and other staff members contracted tuberculosis themselves, and a lot of them died. So for a young woman who made that sacrifice, you know, basically sentenced herself to prison, being locked on the hill, could possibly die from tuberculosis herself, not much money, not treated too well, all of those things, she had to really care about the people that she was treating. It had to be more than a job, it was a calling. And for someone who answered that calling to hang themselves in plain view of those two precious classes of patients, those children, those young adults, those really sick people, young people. It just didn't make sense to me because where she was found hanging would have been in plain view for both both wards. And so I researched that story myself and I got a whole different story. Well, going back to. June 20th 2019 we get to the fifth floor I tell the story that was the story that is what we had to tell as guides at the time uh about the affair about the abortion about the suicide all of that and for some reason something inside of me that was <laughs> I mean I've done it maybe one other time I don't know but it, it just kind of it kind of fell out of my mouth at that time but this time There's like a voice in my head that said, tell them Sarah's story. And I asked the group after I told the other story, I I said, you know, that that one's never made sense to me. Um, If you'd like to hear what I really think happened and what the story that I've gotten, I'd be glad to tell you. And I'm looking around and the group is like nodding their head, like, yeah, tell us, we'd love to hear it. So I started telling Sarah's story. And as I'm telling it, I'm looking at Denise, or this woman that's in the group, uh, and she's grinning and nodding her head like she knew what I was going to say before I said it, and so when the tour ended, and it was time for me to turn them loose to investigate the building, I pulled her aside, and I I pointed that out to her. I said, it seemed like you knew what I was going to say when I was telling Sarah's story before I said it, and she said, I did
2: I, um, going back a little bit on my background before that night that I met him, I had, uh, this is 2019. I had went through a divorce in, uh, 2012, officially the beginning of 2012 after being married for almost 15 years. Um, won't get into all of that out of respect for the ex and the children I have with the ex, but it was not a very good relationship and I immediately ended up writing another one and, um you know, stupidity mainly, I suppose, but it just seemed like it was something I needed at the time to get over that divorce. And I found myself in another relationship for another five years that was totally not anything that I should have been part of. And I found myself wrapped up in something I couldn't get out of. So I finally broke free from that. And um, because I had felt like a failure as a mom, because I felt like I was trying to rescue my kids from one situation and I ended up throwing them into another, there was a lot of issues I was having with my children uh, mentally, emotionally. So I had made a pact with myself more than anything that I was not going to get involved in any other relationships till all of my children were away from the home. And I wasn't even sure I was interested in any relationships then. Um, And that was as of 2018. So I totally put any idea, any, any romantic thoughts, feelings, adventures, anything on the back burner. And then I go to Waverly Hills, June 20th, 2019. Anybody that knows me or doesn't know me, I have got severe, severe anxiety to the point that it's actually pretty cool that I'm on here right now, Jerry, because I don't normally do this. Not a lot. Um, but I, I won't make phone calls. I won't answer the phone. Um, I'm almost to the point of agoraphobic. It just depends on the day. I mostly will not leave the house now without Ernie accompanying me. So I, I was already telling like my, my teenage kids at the time, I was like, okay, whenever they come down to the gate, you've got to get out and introduce us and tell them who we are so we can go in. Cause I didn't even want to get out and talk to the guy. That's how bad my nerves were. I look up and I see him coming down the hill. Now, mind you, I had been at Waverly uh, as an investigator on and off since 2009, and I was going annually, sometimes twice a year, and the building called me back. It just kept called me back. Well, I had also, over the course of those years, developed this relationship with this nurse up on the fifth floor and did not believe the stories that all the guides had been telling me because I had always heard that same story about the affair, the abortion, etc. So I always spent a lot of time up there. And I had this little voice that would talk to me from time to time that I kind of knew was her. I just knew it was her. And I'm sitting in my car, a nervous wreck, waiting. I see him coming down the hill and I hear her voice that says, He's safe. Get out and talk to him. And just like that, I open the door and I walk to the gate, and my children are all like, What has happened to mother? So I get out and I talk to him. <laughs> I get out and I talk to him. And, um, While I'm talking to him, I feel safe. I feel comfortable. But then there's that other voice in my head saying, no, 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 no. (laughs) So I avoided him like the plague the rest of the night. Seriously avoided him. And then we get up on the fifth floor and he starts telling the story that I had discovered through my own paranormal research for years. He's matching verbatim everything that she had told me. And he was the first guide from 2009 to 2019 that had told that story exactly how I had found it. Ten years I had been going there as a guest. Ten years he had been working there. We never met until that night. So anyway, we get through that night. Um, I'm avoiding him. There was a couple of times he kind of called me off to go places. I was in the room one time with the girls because we actually had him come in the building with us at one point. I was like, I've got to avoid him. I've got to avoid him. And then all of a sudden I blurred out of mouth. Ernie says, if we need any help tonight, he can come in and help us. And I was like, why did I just say that? Because now they're going to go get Ernie in the building. So Ernie comes in the building and I'm up on the second floor and I hear psst, psst, and I turn around because everybody's together. I'm like, what? And he says, why don't you go with me to the OR? And I'm looking at him and I'm like shaking my head. No. And then he's like, come on, let's go up to the OR. And I grab my kids. and say, you're going with me. I'm not going up there with him by myself. So he took me and my children off by ourselves to the o r and we just kind of talked on and off that night
1: yeah yeah it uh i mean it it started with you know talking about the nurse um and the fact that she's a nurse, you know i you know we talked about how well, maybe she's drawn to you because you're also a nurse, and you know, I don't know, you know, it just started innocently enough and <clears throat> like her, I was not looking for a relationship. I mean, I was at a point where at that time, if my ex-girlfriend had called, I probably would have left Waverly and ran straight to her house. Um, but I was not looking for jumping into another relationship, nothing like that at all. But <laughs> we'll talk about the next day when...
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, when I left that night, because I had made this pact with myself and I'd also promised my children, I said, you know, I know you all have been through a lot over the last few years. I'm not doing any of this anymore. No dating, whatever. And I, my youngest child, especially I've got four daughters, my youngest child, especially was like, you know, Bravo, Bravo, no more anybody in our lives. I've got mom mom, out of myself. Like they were all for me being single and um <clears throat> we get in the car and we were not even off the hill yet and my youngest daughter from the back seat cuz three my three youngest children had went with me and they were older at the time but they were still you know teenagers my uh youngest said mom i can get behind that relationship and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> And she was like, you and Ernie. And then my other two that were in there chimed in, they're like, yeah, mom, y'all were flirting all night. In my mind, I was never flirting. He didn't feel like he was flirting either. We were just being nice. And um, I said, well, it doesn't matter because I purposely didn't get any of his contact information because I was not setting myself up for failure. I was not putting myself in that situation again. I said, I didn't get any of his information. I know his name's Ernie, but they don't have like a tour guide list on Waverly Hills page or anything. I just know his name's Ernie. We'll probably never see him again. So on the way home, I'm trying to just put all this out of my mind. I'm like, I don't know what has happened, but I'm just, it's over. It was fun while it lasted. Okay. I go home. I take my nap because I get home at like 6 a.m. And I sleep till like 11 or 12 and I wake up. And I first thing I do is like, let me look at Facebook. I haven't even hardly got my eyes open yet. And I open up my Facebook, and it says "People you may know, Ernie Pack." So I said, I thought about it for a minute, and I thought, okay. And I hear that voice, that little female voice. Sending a friend's request, and I'm like, "All right, let's see what happens." No sooner did I hit send did he receive it, and mm, uh,
1: I I accepted it. I mean, I, it's probably a decision I'll regret most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, I, you know, I got back to Waverly that next afternoon and no sooner than I sat down uh, at the building there, did I get this friend's request and I look and it's Denise Brassel. And I'm like, I recognize that name and I look, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the lady that was here last night. Okay. And I accept it. And then we start messaging almost instantly talking about Sarah.
2: Yeah, it was like we were together, we were still talking about her. And even as I was sending messages, I was like, this is such a bad idea because this, this is not what, you know, if I communicate with him too much, this is going to get to a point where I don't want it to be. So I was trying to distance myself, but then odd things started happening because you know, Jerry, how hard it is to get into Waverly to get tickets at the height of, before all this mess. Well, I happen to have somebody call me or not call me, message me and say, I've got two tickets to a six hour public overnight in two weeks. Do you want them? And I thought, OK, yeah, I'll take them. I'll go back up there. Let me see what happens. Because, you know, that voice again, accept them because every fiber of my bank screaming, no, you don't want to do that. I'm like, OK, I'll accept them. So I, I, I took the tickets and I thought, OK, I'm going to message him and tell him I've got these tickets. He was like, oh, well, that's cool. Maybe I'll see you before I leave because I don't do the public overnight. I only do the private, but I'll try to say, hey, because I usually help get them started. I'll say, hey, before I go out the door, I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm thinking, okay, that's just another reason. It's not meant to be if, you know, he's not going to be there even. I might or might not be able to say hello to him when I get there. Well, I'm sitting at dinner on my way up there. I stop and eat in a couple of exits away, like nine o'clock at night. And I get a message from him says, guess what? One of the guys that never calls out got sick tonight and they asked me to cover his shift. So I'm gonna be your <laughs> overnight guy <guide> tonight. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and things like that just kept happening.
2: I ended up with three different sets of tickets that year.
1: After or, that first night. After
2: that first night. On investigations, I should have not been able to get tickets too.
1: And you know, I just kept it kept, you know, working out that I would be there. If not the whole night, at least part of the night when she was there on on Friday and Saturday nights, which are
2: not my nights, you know, because I work the private overnights through the week. Now, it's important to note that during this time period of all this happening. Even though both of us in our minds are like, we don't need this, that draw was still there because um, I'm I'm not a, a woman that's I'm not a typical woman, I think Ernie mm-hmm. can say that by no means. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so I'm not a chaser or a pursuer and I certainly wasn't looking for anything, but like I would send him a me- messages and not get a reply sometimes for two days. And I'd be like, okay, this just, that's where it is. And then I would get that voice saying, he needs you to reach out, keep, keep pushing him, keep pushing him. And I kept thinking this man's going to think I'm insane and I'm trying to chase him and whatever, but I would t- I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna send him another message, and then I would get a reply. Sorry, I've just been having a really hard time lately, because he he got to where he was talking to me, even though we barely knew each other, just through through a few tours, and then of course that's messaging. We got to be best friends because the the outside Ernie that everybody was seeing was not the inside Ernie that I was getting to know. So on the days he wasn't messaging me, I was worrying because I knew there was more going on until he finally started to tell me the things that were happening.
0: Um, and you and you didn't live in the area at the time, did you?
2: I was in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I was two hours away. Yeah.
1: You know, the, the public Ernie that had to, uh, you know, show the guests a good time and all of that became a very exhausting life for me. Um and you know putting on that happy face and and entertaining the crowd, so to speak, uh took a lot out of me because I was holding so much back what was going on behind the scenes. You know, that's I mean? not a ghost
2: saying. screaming behind us, by that's the way. That's fire, fire, fire truck back yeah. here.
1: Um and so when I wasn't having to do that and put on that
2: face. Well, you need to tell him what was happening in your private life. I'm going, I'm getting there.
1: When I wasn't uh when I wasn't having to put on the the happy face, I wanted to just isolate from everybody. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't respond to text messages. I didn't do any. I just basically spent what little time I had that I wasn't working just laying in my car sleeping.
2: He lost his home. Or trying. He lost his home. He ended up evicted during that course of that time while we were talking. He got evicted.
1: I got evicted. I had to send my son to live with his cousin. Um, uh, For a while, it was me and my dog living in my car in the parking lot at Waverly. Um, There was a night that I went up on the roof of Waverly after a private overnight. I had shown the people out of the gate, went back in. Last thing I always did was go from top to bottom of the building and make sure all the doors were locked and everything was you know, in good order, before I left, and I was a smoker at the time, so I get up to the roof of the building, and I decide I'm going to have me a cigarette there on the roof before I go down and leave for the night, and I'm standing there, smoking a cigarette, looking out over the parking lot, and everything just started hitting me about all that I was going through at the time, and I thought, if I just stepped up here on this ledge and took one step off of it, I wouldn't be dealing with all that anymore. And I, you know, kind of leaned over on on the ledge and was looking down and thinking, when I finish this cigarette, I'm gonna flick it, and then I'm just gonna follow it down. That was what was in my head. And I heard. That tiny little voice that I'd been hearing for years—the same voice that had called out to me and said the name Sarah, that introduced me to Sarah's story to begin uh, with—say called Denise.
2: And I don't know if
1: it was was,
2: in my head. It was four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning. It was so real.
1: (laughs) And so I pull my phone out of my pocket, and I called Denise. And I'm standing there holding the phone, looking down at the parking lot, thinking she's not going to answer. It's four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) She answers. And we just had a conversation. I didn't let her know anything about what was going on. But I
2: knew when the phone rang, I knew where he was and what was going on because she had told me. She said, answer this phone. I, I jolted awake and I was awake when the phone rang, waiting for the phone call. Um, we got so connected that he started having spells where he was passing out because he wasn't eating right. I mean, I was a single mom working overtime and sending him money to try to keep his car paid and keep him fed. Um, We weren't even in a relationship. Like it was just like I needed, I, I don't know what was drawing me to do it. I, like I said, I'm not like a typical woman that's going to, uh, bend over backwards or try to do anything to impress a guy or anything like that. I had my own issues I was dealing with, but for some reason I was drawn to, I, I needed to do this for him. And uh he would have these episodes where he would pass out and I would get real dizzy all of a sudden. And I'd call him. I'm like, you just had a dizzy spell, didn't you? He'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, you need to go to the doctor. I'm sending you money for a copay, go to the doctor. So we, it was, it
1: was a connection that, you know, you just cannot explain. I mean, there's I mean, we've, we've dug really deep in it and we're still just scratching the surface of all the little nuances and, and, and little things that just kept tying us together. And it all goes back to that little nurse on the fifth floor. And we do need
2: to tell her actual story of what together we, we concluded because we want to, that's very important to us. That's one of the goals we set out was to tell her real story, but basically at the end of it all, um when it was all said and done we uh ended up married we're married
1: (laughs) we are we are pac-man paranormal um we became pac-man paranormal before we got married before we
2: got married people were we we got to where i was coming up on the weekends that was another thing i was coming up every weekend and renting a hotel so he could have a bed to sleep in and a shower
1: and we could go try to research and we would research sarah and do that
2: but i mean and it was totally and completely innocent two beds Uh, He slept in his. I slept in mine. I'd take him and feed him. Uh, I'd give him what money I could to give him a little pocket cash to eat. I I bought his kids Christmas that first time we were together. I bought his kids school clothes. Uh, Anything I could do to help from my end whilst trying to be with my kids and do what I needed to do on my part. But um, we truly were best friends. There was no, I think there was romance, but we were both. We were both so, so fighting
1: a relationship that the, we just the first we didn't see it. Other people did.
2: other people kept saying you two are just so cute or you and we were like, no, we, no, we did a we're thing just friends. When we worked
1: <laughs> on a on a on an investigation with a guy who claims he's a real man in black, uh, or you know, like government agent, like he calls himself Dr. Mulder, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> and uh and he just kept saying, Oh, you've got you a good one there, Ernie. You've got your good one there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're just friends. And he's like, ah. <laughs> and we would look at each other like, what are they seeing that we're not? Because we're we're just friends. But anyway, we finally
2: When we decided, realized, okay, we're a couple, we were a couple. Like, absolutely. And, and nothing really changed other than the whole physical touch. There was no changes whatsoever we, we in the way we interact. We don't
1: act any different today than right. we did What you you
2: see here is what everybody else was saying when we were just friends, because this has always been our comfort level with each other. Yeah. But um, Sarah's story.
1: Okay, so we'll get back to that. (laughs) Remember what I said about the conditions that a nurse faced when they took a job at Waverly? Yes. Well, Sarah was the youngest. Okay, I'll tell you how I got to this point.
2: 30 different teams, at least. Yeah to contribute to
1: this. Yeah, this is all based on paranormal research and it's at least 30 different teams. I mean, we we stopped counting at 30 to be honest. Uh but uh the first night that I got any communication up there, I had given a tour to a uh, there were three guys that had rented the building for the night. I'd given them their tour and um turned them loose in the building. A couple hours later they came and got me and said they weren't having any luck and asked if I could come in and help, and I said sure, I went up there, they were on the fifth floor, had all their equipment laid out there, right under where this nurse, who supposedly had committed suicide, had hung herself, and uh, I'm just sitting there listening to them initially, and they uh, they were asking questions like, why did you kill your baby, who was the doctor you were sleeping with, And you know, I'm listening and I'm just thinking about what they're saying. And it was kind of making me mad because I started thinking, what if that's not what happened? You know, uh, they're just they're being very disrespectful. If that's not what happened, and this young lady is actually listening right now, she's gonna be hurt. So I said, guys, you mind if I go ahead and chime in? They said, sure, go ahead. And I sat down next to the elevator there across from 502. And I said, Hey. My name is Ernie. I'm going to be spending a lot of time up here. I'm going to be telling this story a lot, but I want to make sure I tell the right story. I don't think that the story that I tell about you is the truth. Um, If you will help me, I promise I will tell your story to everyone I meet. But you got to help me. If you could just tell me your name, that'd be a good start. And no sooner than I said that, all three of us, three men, the only people in the building, hear this tiny little female voice from in front of room 504 that said, Sarah. And we all about jumped out of our skin. I mean, you know how this works. When you ask a question, you're thinking (laughs) you're going to catch something on an EVP or maybe something's going to light up or beep or whatever. You know, but no, when you hear an actual disembodied voice from about 15 feet away, it's it's a whole different ball game at that point. So that little tiny voice saying, Sarah started what's now golly 14 years of me going up there, every chance I get and having conversations with Sarah and asking her to tell me more. And, uh, I started piecing together the story a little bit at a time over the years. And, uh,
2: and I come along with a few more pieces. You came along
1: with a few more pieces. We started doing a podcast on Paranormal Warehouse at one point, which was a very popular podcast. We'd have 12, 15,000 listeners on there, or viewers. And uh, we would tell Sarah's story from time to time, and we'd get messages from other teams. They'd send us their own evidence, their own EVPs or whatever, and help us piece the story together. And it it's real clear now. Um. We're still working on it. I mean, we don't know all the answers,
2: and and we don't have any
1: proof of it. All all we've got is paranormal paranormal evidence. Can't say it's any more accurate or any more provable than the other story that's been told for years. But uh, what Sarah has told me and us and many others over the years is that she was the youngest child in her family. She was the runt of the family. That's her word, not mine. Mm -hmm. Um, She had an older sister she adored And that older sister contracted tuberculosis and died at the age of 15. Sarah watched that happen as a young child. She decided she wanted to be a nurse. She wanted to help kids who were sick, kids who had TB. So she went to school. She made good grades. She became a nurse. She got the opportunity at the age of 22 to go to work at Waverly Hills. So she did. And um, she loved her job. She was very tiny, very soft-spoken. And so they put her on the fifth floor working with those really sick kids. And she was new, so she mostly worked the night shift a lot of times alone. One night, she's up there by herself in room 504 when another staff member came up the steps uh, he didn't use the elevator cause she never heard a bell. I got a lot of EVPs and ovulous answers, whatever that said, no bell, no bell. Sometimes on the ovulus it would say no bell, like spelled like N O B E L, like the Nobel peace prize. And so I went down a rabbit hole searching for Waverly doctors who'd maybe gotten a Nobel peace prize. And finally one day, you know, I, it clicked. Do you mean you didn't hear a bell? And she says, yes. And I'm like, okay, so we use the steps. And, you know, so anyway, this is how the whole story came to Anyway, he came in the room behind her. Uh, he attacked her. She tried to fight back. She didn't want to scream. She didn't want to wake the kids. She was too little. He was too strong. He got what he wanted. She had been a virgin until that night. Somewhere in the process, he hurt her neck. That's another phrase that many teams have gotten. Hurt my neck. Hurt neck, broken neck, things like that. Mm -hmm. Choked. Um, Anyway, they lied. They covered it up. Help me. Help me.
2: Help me. Rape? No, baby.
1: Murder. Murder. All of these things. And when you think about all of those factors, it makes a lot more sense. That version of the story makes a lot more sense than what has been told over the years. Um, You know, sexual predator has been around since the beginning of time. It's very possible, even likely, that at some point there was a sexual predator that went to work at Waverly Hills. And remember, they're confined there. They can't go out in the community. If you're a sexual predator and you're looking for a victim, who's the perfect victim? That tiny little nurse that's alone on the night shift with the only witnesses being these dying children and people considered crazy because they've had electroshock therapy
2: and what better way to cover up the rape of a virgin because they assumed that she done an abortion because of the bleeding between the legs. So that was a good cover up there as well. I mean, the
1: whole, the whole story that's been pieced together through paranormal Mm -hmm. evidence, not just from me, not just from Denise or us together, but from multiple teams from around the world,
2: we've just makes
1: a lot more
2: sense. We also have, um, spoken to or had other people associated with us uh, spoke to other um, like there was a lady whose mother had worked there at that time that had been since deceased when we spoke to this lady but she said one of the stories her mother used to tell us about her time at Waverly Hills was how the male staff did often uh, discriminate against obviously and abuse the female staff and so there was a lot of that happening at that day and day and age you know the 30s it was not Unreasonable to assume anyway. So,
1: you know, like I say, I had made that promise to Sarah that I would tell that story. She'd help me every chance I got. So you've given me a chance to tell it. And uh I'm keeping that promise and I'll always keep it.
0: Well, guys, unfortunately we're at that time where I have to wrap stuff up, but I want to end on this. Uh you guys have matching tattoos. You want to talk about that real quick? Yeah,
1: they are. (laughs) 502? Of the five oh you can't see them on the radio or if you're a <laughs> listener right now, you can't see them. But we've go, both got the 502 tattoos on our it's right like forearms. front font
2: of the door, the actual yeah. font. We, we,
1: took, put, we took a photograph of the actual number on the door at Waverly to our tattoo artist and had him replicate it into tattoos. And, uh, you know, Sarah's, Sarah's a part of us.
2: And Mm. uh, that gives us the conversation piece. When people ask, it gives us an opportunity to tell Sarah's story. So we tell it every chance we get.
0: So as I stated at the beginning, this is a paranormal love story for the ages. And knowing the both of you, seeing the way you are uh, with each other, not only on Facebook, but in person for a little bit of time, I've been able to do it. There is a genuine love between you two. And if ever two people were meant to be together, you two were meant to be Mm -hmm. together. And I, and I told you the same thing that, you know, I felt like Tracy and I had some things not as paranormal as you guys had to kind of push us together, right time, right place uh, for both of us. And I think you two found the right people at the right time with each other. And uh, I, 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 think the paranormal aspect just even adds that much more to it, but Ernie, everything you were going through at the time to, to literally be on a ledge, thinking about just being done with everything, and knowing that both of you uh, were there for each other at that exact moment, uh, it's just an awesome story, and, and I'm I'm glad that you guys shared it.
1: Well, uh, thank you for letting us. Uh, we We've been told that we need to write a book, we need to have a movie made about this, all of those things, and uh, we we are in the process of writing a book. It's Have been for a
0: couple of years.
2: Very now, but slow. Life kind of got busy. in the way. <laughs> uh, I'm
1: a that champion.
0: would be a movie I would watch, though. I would watch. I would watch that movie. That that sounds like a movie. So I'm perfect.
1: It really does. It really does.
0: One more it's time. Sweet. Give out the. Uh, how can people follow you guys on uh, on the internet?
1: Well, we are Pac-Man Paranormal. P a c k m a n. Uh, just like our last name, uh, Pac-Man Paranormal. Ernie Pac fa- and
2: Denise Pac. We both yes. have Facebook pages.
1: Yeah. And we, uh, we are also the founders of the Save Waverly Hills Facebook group. You can find us on there. And for folks that are wanting to book Waverly Hills, go to therealwaverlyhills.com and find you an open date and get in there. And hopefully we'll be up there again soon to... Give tours again and continue telling Sarah's story
0: when we can. All right, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Thank Thank you you. for having us, Jerry. good, Good talking to you always.